Hi, it's Michelle. Thank you for joining me for this segment of the Holy Spirit You Channel podcast. Why our propensity for prophecy is putting us in peril. That's the topic for today's segment. Why our propensity for prophecy is putting us in peril. So let's talk about this. Why do we rely on prophecy so much? I'm going to give you the short answer and then elaborate a little bit. We do it because we don't like the process. The short answer is that we use prophecy to circumvent God's process. We are a little lower than the angels. We are higher than animals. It says uh, uh, in the garden, Satan said, the serpent said to Eve, God doesn't want you to know as much as he knows. And that's been our curse ever since, or at least part of it. So we want to know everything that God knows. Hmm. We want to know what God knows. We've convinced ourselves that prophecy is the way to do that. You need to check out my other segment uh, called Prophecy Was the Point to, to, to get more detail about why that is the wrong approach and why now I'm doing this segment on why our propensity for, for prophecy is putting us in peril. Basically, we don't like the process. We don't like not knowing. We don't really like allowing God to be God. We don't like, like being led of Holy Spirit. We're very driven by our natural senses, sight, smell, taste. But the word of the Lord says, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, those are things that he hates. But those are the things that drive us. So we look for anything and everything that gets us out of the painful process of being living, living sacrifices, that gets us out of the painful process of obeying a God we cannot see, that gets us out of the painful process of not knowing when we so desperately want to know. We use it to circumvent the exact process that Christ died to put in place. We live by faith, not by magic. So when Christ said he removed our sin, what he's saying is, and he said he removed our sin, but then he says, I'm going to send another helper because I came to show you how it's done. I came to show you how your life is supposed to look without sin. But I need to send another helper because you've been, you were dead in sin when I found you. Now the process begins. The process doesn't begin until we're filled with Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's the same spirit that was in Christ. What other spirit is going to teach us to be like Christ? We don't know any, enough as much as we think we know. The only spirit that can teach us or make us like Christ is the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And yet we have so perverted and twisted prophecy that we now use it to manipulate or think we are manipulating the situation and circumstances in such a way that we can circumvent and bypass God's process. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever we sow. Whatsoever. It's like whosoever will. Whosoever and whatsoever. Whatsoever we sow, that is what we will reap. 
So if we're showing manipulation, thinking that we can mock God, we need to think again. The purpose of prophecy is not for us to get our way. It's not to express our personal, political, whatever opinions. It's not to advance our agenda. It's not to tickle our ears. The purpose of prophecy, true prophecy, is to change us to be like Christ. If I am in a place where, and I'll use myself, for example, as a perfect example, as a matter of fact, because a lot of what I talk about today is because of a word he gave me that kept me alive. When I was diagnosed with cancer, documented, I'm not supposed to be here. And the Lord said, no, I'm going to save you. You will live. But we're going to have to go through some things. First, I was mad because I was going to die, or I was told I was going to die. Then the word of the Lord, the Lord came, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy, found me. And he said, nope, you're going to live, but we're going to go through some things. So first, I was mad because I was going to die. I was like, really, Lord? I'm not even, I wasn't even sick. What? Right? process. Didn't like, I don't like this process. What, what, what's going on? So first I was mad about that. Then the word I got, the prophetic word, by the way, was we're going to have to go through something. We, he, we, I remember it very clearly. Not you, we, meaning he was going to be there with me. He said, we're going to have to go through something. Then you know what he said to me? He said, because there are some people that need to see a miracle. So I had to go through some things so other people could see a miracle. You want to talk about prophecy? You can't talk about it with me because I'm telling you what prophecy is. We have to go through some things to come out on the other side so other people can see a miracle. And when they see the miracle, then they will want to know our God. They will want to know Jesus, the same Jesus that saved me. First, I was mad because I was going to die. Then I was mad because the word he gave me was, you got to go through some things. I didn't want to go through chemo. I wanted the Lord to just, whatever cancer was, I wanted to be able to confess it, quote, unquote, confess it away. Okay, so for all of you religious spirits out there, don't come at me with it. Lord, you can take this away from me if you wanted to. He said, yeah, I could. But that's not how I'm going to do it with you. We have to go through some things. I need, there are some people that need to see a miracle. Now, when we talk about miracles and when we talk about what it means to be a Christian, that's not what we say. But that is what God says. I need to do something in you and through you and with you because I need some people to see me. I need everybody that knows anything about you and about your situation and your circumstance. When you come through this, I need them to know it was me. Our propensity for prophecy is putting us in peril because that's not what we believe. That's not what we like. 
We want prophecy to be about us. Oh, I'm finally going to get my way. Oh, I finally get to advance my agenda. I've got to know because, you know, I need to know because of who I am and what I am. And No, that's not how it works. The only reason we are here, as in alive, the only reason he sends us is because he has to transform us in, so that his kingdom can be manifested on earth as it is in heaven. We like to say the words. We don't like to live the life. The living word. What does the living word do? The living word writes living epistles. Guess who the living epistles are? You and me. We like to use prophecy to bypass the process. But the word of God says the spirit of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Therefore, test the spirit. He also says something about uh, false prophets, which means that there are people who will willingly use prophecy if they think they can make you believe something. Then there are others who, who, who just make mistakes, just aren't there yet. I mean, I've gotten words. I haven't shared them with, with people. The Lord has said things to me, and I was convinced, and it didn't happen a few times. And so I go back to him. I'm like, okay, first of all, I have my moments, and I go to the Lord in honor and in reverence, but still with questions, still with frustration because he knows all of that anyway. So he talks about false prophets, which means it is possible, not only possible but likely if we're not watchful, that we can be manipulated into believing that something is coming from God when it's not. And the only way that we protect ourselves from that is to guard our hearts. We can't do that. It's a Holy Spirit inside job. Our propensity for prophecy is putting us in peril. Because we like to hear what we like to hear, the tickling of the ears. But the Lord's like, I didn't come to tickle your ears. I came to deliver you out of sin. Now, I've done my part, but I sent Holy Spirit so you can do your part. This is what this is about. This is what the walk is about. Living epistles, living sacrifices, oxymoron. In the Old Testament, sacrifice is dead, as dead as dead can get. But we are living sacrifices. That means the spirit of flesh, the spirit that is at odds, at enmity with God, has to be on the altar. That's the sweet-smelling savor that we provide. That means when the Lord says, I need you to go right, but I feel like going left, I put my flesh on the altar because even though everything in me wants to go left, I say, okay, Lord, I'm going to go right. That's a living sacrifice. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what it means to live by faith, to walk by faith, not by sight. Well, it looks like I should go and do X, Y, Z. And the Lord says, don't you dare. Sit down and be quiet. And everything in you wants to scream. But if you do it, the peace will come. 
living sacrifice. We get to be priest and king. So Jesus is the lamb, right, the lamb slain, and the high priest. So we are too. He was the sacrifice and the priest. We are also the sacrifice and the priest. We have responsibility to appropriate, okay, not other people's sacrifices. We have to bring ourselves as the sacrifice and make sure we stay on the altar. I'll have to do another segment on kings and priests. But in the Old Testament, the people of God, the children of Israel, brought their specifically determined sacrifices to the altar of the tabernacle for the priests to offer for them as an, as an atonement for their sin. In the New Testament, we walk after Christ, who is both the sacrifice and the priest. So I bring myself to the tabernacle. I put myself on the altar. And I'm responsible for rightly appropriating my sacrifice, making sure that the spirit of flesh that is in me, the spirit that is at enmity with God, stays on the altar so that that sweet-smelling savor is continually going before the Lord. We have taken prophecy to remove us out of our role of priest. We like to use the terminology. It sounds so grand and so royal, but we don't like to do the work. It's hard. It's painful. Ask me. I know. But there is nothing like the peace, the joy, the passion, the liberty that comes when you obey God. Even if you have to cry and crawl your way through, which I have done many a day, I'm not looking for a word to deliver me out of anything unless it is Christ himself by the Holy Spirit. And the deliverance is not magic. When, if you want to be delivered, just be obedient. Being obedient walks you out of the thing that was holding you. Obedience is the greatest deliverance ever. Because by the time you keep saying, no, Lord, I'm not going to do it. No, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do this. And you finally do it. One day you wake up and you're delivered. Our propensity for prophecy has put us in peril. We don't truly believe God. We don't like chastisement. Who does? Who does? The word of God says, spare the rod, spoil the child. We don't like to talk about these things these days. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That does not mean abuse your children, okay? That does not what that means. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This is what, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Lord's prayer, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That means I have to have guidance. That means that there has to be wisdom. 
that when I feel like I want to go run off, that the Lord has to keep me on course. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That talks about discipline, instilling in children a sense of discipline, reigning in that unruly spirit without breaking who they are. That's what God does for us. We don't like chastisement. But the word of God says, whom the Father loves, he chastens. I read the King James. I prefer it. I'll do a segment later on why. Whom the Father loves, he chastens. So if you want the Father to love you or if you want him to demonstrate that he loves you, you're going to have to go through the pain of growing up in the Lord. You don't use prophecy to get your way. He uses prophecy to get his. Just because you like a certain minister or ministers or ministries doesn't mean they're always speaking the word of God. Test the spirit to see if, and that means every moment. Not only that, if you are paying attention to a particular person or persons more than you're paying attention to God, then you need to check where you are on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of idolatry. There sh- you shall have no other gods before me. Does that mean we shouldn't assemble together? Does that mean that we, there shouldn't be equippers? No, that's not what that means. It means that they should always be pointing you to God. Equipping, not replacing. We don't like chastisement. So we use prophecy to justify getting our own way. We like to be right. So we use prophecy to make us right. When we want our ears tickled because we want our way, we don't want to go through pain, so we use prophecy to say, look, you're getting ready to get your way, and you don't have to go through pain. When you do that, what you're doing is stepping outside of the process of the Lord, and therefore you're not covered. You're back under the law. If you're going to manipulate the situation and the word of God, then you step out of grace and into the law. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. We associate what we want with being right. That's the problem with sin. It makes us think we're right. The word of God says, let another person sing your praise. You don't, you're not supposed to be around here singing your own praise. Jesus humbled himself. The word of God says, if my people would just humble themselves, then pray and turn from their wicked ways. That's God talking to his people. But we, that's what we say to the church. You need to turn from your wicked ways. You're evil. We don't want you around here. That's not how God treated us. Because if God treated us the way most of us not even treat, think about other people, we'd all be dead. We wouldn't even be here to have this conversation. The more he loves us, the more he chastises us. The sons of God are those who will go through the process. You're not a a son or daughter just because you believe. You come into the house as a servant. 
in some cases, in many cases. Son is positional in the spirit, okay? We're born into families, and we don't think about it this way. But if you think about the reproductive cycle, if you think about the cycle of life, we're born into families. And we talk about this all the time, firstborn, secondborn, all of the what it means to be in a specific birth position or, or place in the family. But we don't think about that spiritually. Particularly when we are adults and we come into the Lord, we still come into the kingdom like we're adults. We come stepping up into the kingdom like nobody can tell us anything. But that's not the principle. That's not the law that is in place there. He says you have to be born again. Nobody is born as an adult. If you were born again, the moment you were born again, in the spirit you're a baby. You're an infant. That's why he says humble yourself. It's different with if a child, first of all, you, the child has to be at a place, if it's a younger age, where they have at least a uh, cognizant understanding of the fact that they are making a choice for Christ and what the implications of that are. But if you're an adult, you cease to be an adult in the kingdom when you're born again. You might look physically like an adult. But when you're born, the day you're born again, you become an infant in the kingdom. We prophesy saying that it's of God. So once we have a prophecy, basically what we're saying is, I don't have to do what you tell me to do. This is what God said. Now, if it's truly God, then so be it. God will make sure everybody knows that. What I'm dealing with right now, what I'm talking about right now, is the fact that our propensity for prophecy is putting us in peril because we are misusing prophecy. We're calling things prophecy that really is not prophecy, not true prophecy. If there wasn't such a thing as false prophecy, then he wouldn't have put that in the scripture. If there wasn't such a thing as familiar spirits, meaning spirits that know what you want to hear and will tell you what you want to hear, then he wouldn't have put that in the scripture. How do you think Saul lost his kingdom? Because after everything he was told by the man of God, the prophet of God, by the way, he went and sought a familiar spirit. We're still doing this today. Don't act like the Bible is so far. No, it's talking about us. Look at the Bible as people that are led of the Spirit of God and people that are not. If you do that, you'll understand the Bible better. So, we are always in a judgment day to some degree. If we believe that God is all ever-present, all-powerful, knows everything, we are always in a judgment day. And it may not be a judgment day where he is making a final judgment, like we're transitioning out back into eternity. Time is manifested eternity. So we, we come out of a place we cannot see, come into the earth where everything is seen, touched, felt, and we transition out to a place we cannot see. So time is manifested eternity. It's not separate from it. It's part of it. So understanding that, we know that every day, God is always present. He is present in every moment of time. He lives outside of time, but he's also with us in the moment that we exist in. 
That's what it means to be ever-present, to be eternal, all-powerful, omniscient. And we say, well, when Jesus comes, well, he already came. He already came in the flesh, and then he poured out his spirit, same person, different form. So he's already here. Whether or not you've received him internally, the infilling, that's, that's on you. That's between you and the Lord. But he's already here. Stop talking about God like you're not here. He is the most real person to me ever. Even when I'm in a room, quote, unquote, by myself, there's no other physical person. And when you begin to allow that to sink and guide your life, I promise you some things about you will change. If you think about, well, there's going to be a judgment day, see, in, in our minds, we can delay that. But we don't have a tomorrow unless we walk through today. And how are we walking through, through, through today? Even if we're not led of the Spirit, we're on borrowed air, externally and internally. God formed Adam, then breathed and made him a living soul. So all of our breath is on loan from God. So he's present. Even your breath is going to tell on you. Your breath tells on you because there's a level of accountability to the God of the universe that created you. Now, God is always present. He's always watching. He's not looking for what you do with a crowd. So whether you're religious affiliation, political affiliation, any other affiliations you have, just understand that on Judgment Day, it's you and God every day. And you have to think like this every day. He's not going to be asking you what the group did, what the leader of the group did. He's going to ask you what you did. Did you do what I told you? Did you use what I gave you? Did you allow me to lead you? Were you led of my spirit? Did you trust in me? Did you receive me? He's not going to ask what your parents did or didn't do. He's not going to ask what your friends did or didn't do. He's not going to ask what your church did or didn't do. He's going to say, did you? And when we begin to uh, uh, assimilate that thought process, take that on, and understand that this is a one-on-one relationship, it begins to change how we, not only how we view God, but how we behave around him. We each have to stand on our own. We have to study to show ourselves approved. When we're abiding in Christ and led of the Spirit, we are living prophetically, meaning I'm not there yet, but I'm headed in that direction. I still make mistakes, but as I'm led of the Spirit, what he's doing is he's walking me out of that sinful tendency. Christ has delivered me from sin, but there are still sinful uh, tendencies. That's what a mistake is. But as I'm led of the Spirit, there are certain things that are going to fall away. He knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. So when Christ comes to us, he knows where we are. Meaning, if I live at 123H Street, and he's saying, you're going to live at, and I don't mean the house, Okay, I'm using the address to indicate something spiritually. Please don't give me the house money thing in terms of prophecy. What I'm talking about is something that has to do with process, personal, internal process. That's where the change happens. 
So if Michelle's spiritual address is 123 H Street, but he wants me to go to uh, 2559 L Street, and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't even know how to get there. I don't know where that is. Do you know how many potholes there are? I have to take a plane. I have to. He's saying, I, I, didn't, I didn't come for you to figure it out. Figure it out. I'm telling you where we're going. It's just like when he put the disciples in the boat. That's a prophetic move. We get mad because he didn't tell us about the storm. But from his point of view, it did, the storm didn't matter. That's why he says, oh, ye a little faith. If I put you in the boat, I know how to get you to the other side. He says, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. Or get in the boat, I'll meet you over on the other side. He already knows. Prophetic. We don't know. But if we follow his instruction, the prophecy that God gives us takes hold and gets us to where we're supposed to be. We don't have to think about it. We are led into it. That's what Holy Spirit came to do. He will lead you into all truth, meaning you don't need to know all of the answers. You're not, I didn't put you here to figure anything out. If you believe me, then you will get to where I need you to be. If you trust me, seek ye first the kingdom, and everything else will be added. He who comes to God, he or she or whatever person or individual comes to God must first believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Meaning, if he came to save us and deliver us from sin, or since he did, then if we are led by him, he's going to make sure that we eventually are sin-free. That may not fully take place in manifested eternity or time. But the more we walk, the less, the more sinfulness or sin tendency or sin uh, condition should fall off. So if I got saved at 20 and I truly am seeking the Lord when I'm 70, I should look more like Christ at 70 than at 20. If you got saved at 50, when you're 80, you should look more like Christ than you did at 50. Why? Because he's going to honor himself. Even when we seemingly make mistakes, when we repent and humble ourselves, he'll say, he gives us credit for that. And it was counted to him. And Abraham believed. And it was counted to him as righteousness. That's what that means. That's the belief he's talking about. The belief that supersedes the fact that you don't know everything or didn't do everything right. But you kept trusting him, and you kept going anyway, and you kept repenting, and you kept saying, Lord, I, I want to be like you. And you kept crying, and you kept crawling, but you kept getting up, and you kept allowing the Lord to do what he said he was going to do. And it was counted to you as righteousness. That's what that means. You don't have to be righteous. Just the fact that you're seeking me first. And my righteousness, I'm going to count that towards you, despite the fact that it doesn't look, it may look a little messy, despite the fact that it may be painful. He knows where we're going. We need to be certain that we're asking for true prophecy, 
the spirit of Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy. And then Holy Spirit comes and gives us the instructions necessary to fulfill the prophecy. The prophecy is always going to involve some pain for us. Even if the prophecy looks glorious, you're going to be debt free. Okay? Fantastic. I want to be debt free. But you're going to have to stop spending X, Y, Z, pain, because he wants us to know where our ugliness is. He's not going to bring forth a prophecy, no matter how glorious it seems, without, our, without us first understanding our own ugliness. Because when it is fulfilled, he wants to be certain that there is nothing in us that can say, you know, I did that. If I see, as I have many times, my own ugliness, when he does what he said he was going to do, when he healed me of the cancer and other things, all I could do was say, glory be to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You alone are worthy to be praised. And when we lift him up, other people need to see a miracle. Then he draws others to him, not to me, not to you. We need to stop letting our propensity for prophecy, especially false prophecy, to put us in peril. We need to speak or seek the spirit of Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy. We need to Test the spirit to see if it be of Christ or of God. And then we need to allow Holy Spirit to lead us in the way of righteousness and truth so that the Lord by his spirit can fulfill his prophecy to us, in us, around us, and through us. My name is Michelle. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.